Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Logan Wright. Logan is a full-time open source software developer working on the Swift web framework, Vapor. Welcome to the show, Logan. Hey, Garrick. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show today. How's it going? Uh, what are you up to? I'm sitting here ready to do the podcast. It's a Sunday evening out here. Uh, not much left to do. Probably going to go get some dinner and call it a night. Nice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, you know, taking this time out to share your story with us. So you uh, work on the web framework Vapor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Vapor is a Swift web framework, um, not unlike Ruby on Rails or something like Node. Basically, we handle all of the infrastructure to make web development more easy or <laughs> easier. Um, and the big reason that we think it's important is that we use Swift. So iOS developers, we work in Swift all day, every day. A lot of us are pretty passionate about the language. comes with a lot of strengths. And we can see why naturally that's pretty good for the server. We get performance benefits. We get a safer language. Um, we get compilation time errors as opposed to runtime errors. Um, and we think it's a really good language to go on the web. How long have you been doing this? Uh, so I've been working on Vapor in and out since about February 2015, 16. Uh, we could actually look at when the first commit was. Oh, okay, so you've actually been working on Vapor since day one. Um, actually, no. So Tanner uh, is the original person who created it. He came out, he has a background in Laravel, which is a PHP web framework. Um, and he just kind of wanted to see what was possible in Swift, put some ideas out there based on stuff he knew. He knew he liked Swift. Um, and he put up this framework called Vapor. Uh, I found it pretty quickly was excited about it, excited to try it. Um, I tried, some, everybody was kind of excited about Swift being on the server. We started seeing stuff coming up, but I, was, I couldn't really get it working. Um, I picked up Vapor and within an evening or two, I had a web server up in, in Swift. And until that point, I had really only done iOS development. Um, so for me, it was pretty cool to get that feeling right away. Um, so I wrote a blog post about it and normally, <laughs> My blog posts weren't that popular. I was just some random iOS developer. And then this one was top of the page getting 15,000 views plus. Um, and it was really exciting. I was excited about the time. So I started getting more involved and committing a bunch, um, putting up pull requests for features that were missing. Uh, and then Tanner and I just started working together on it. What do you think it was about that blog post that made it go so <laughs> viral, can I say? <laughs> yeah, viral in our small little iOS developer community. Um, so there's a couple things. It was in the um, a, a newsletter, a weekly newsletter. Somebody picked it up. Um, and then all the Swift developers, as soon as it was announced, we were excited. When it was announced it was open source, people started waiting. And they said, we're going to run it on Linux. We're going to put Swift everywhere. People really couldn't wait to get their hands on it on the server. Um, iOS developers love our tools. We love our language. And we wanted to use that on the server. We were sick of writing Ruby. We were sick of going back from strongly typed language to stringy languages. Um, and I think just the timing was right more than anything else. 
was Vapor, I feel like it was one of the first ones. I mean, I, I heard of Kitura, I heard of Perfect, and then I feel like uh, Vapor came out. Were you guys like the first on the scene or how did uh, that work we out? Weren't, I don't think we were the first kids on the block, but Tanner, Tanner was on it pretty early. Um, if if not one of the first three, he's it's, it's definitely up there. I, I, I couldn't say for sure. Um, it's somewhere in GitHub history if somebody wants to look at it. Um, my feeling though is like maybe why that uh, vapor that article got so much, like so popular was also because vapor kind of just seems like more of a community built thing from the mm-hmm. ground up whereas Katura obviously is um, is backed by IBM perfect was sort of this business kind of looking thing from day one mm-hmm. uh, whereas it seems like yeah Katura um, is like a pure open source software community built thing is that right or um, yeah, so Couture is actually um, imperfect to their credit. So Perfect was one of the first people on the block, um, really did a lot to raise excitement about server-side Swift. Um, IBM also contributes not only to their own frameworks, which are entirely open source, they contribute a lot back to the source code, back to Swift, um, helping get various frameworks running on Linux. So I just want to make sure we don't discount the like massive contributions that both of those frameworks have made to the server-side community and to Swift. Um, but I think it resonated just, it, it, it looked fun. It kind of was a fresh way to look at it. Vapor was new. Um, people could get their hands on it and see it working. And it was just kind of, there was, it was there. It was like the spark of, we've been waiting to get this on the server. And people started doing it. It was, it was kind of a half tutorial. And I think it just resonated with people. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It did seem like Perfect was sort of the first to ri- raise like big awareness and say, we're going to do this. And then um, I know Chris Bailey and uh, IBM and Katura seem to have put a lot of effort and resources and time into um, raising awareness and actually like, making things happen with mm-hmm. uh, Swift on, on the server. And you know, Chris Bailey, I think, is running the uh, server working group. Are you a mm-hmm. part of that? Is Vapor a part of that? Yeah, so all, most of the uh, Swift web frameworks are a part of that in one way or another. There's sort of different levels of contribution. Um, I will say it's kind of tough to get all parties to agree, so we're, it, it's slow going. Um, but it's something that we're really passionate about and we're excited to see more incorporated into the Swift language um, and allow us to focus on higher level tooling. Um, at the end of the day, when Swift first came out, there was nothing there. So we, we were building things raw. Instead of using proper dispatch async and things like that, we're building pthreads and like calling C code from Swift. So it was buggy and difficult. Um, and the server-side APIs are just a step above that that we're really excited about where we can start centralizing this code that we all have to repeat. I mean, we're all rewriting the same HTTP protocols. Um, yeah, so speaking about that, uh, <coughs> Swift Server or Swift HTTP, I'm not sure what it's called. It was like the first um, product, so to say, that was released, a uh, project that was released from the server working group. It was just released um, um, recently. Uh, is that sort of what you're talking about? Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that relates to Vapor? I believe it's called Swift Server or uh, Sur- uh, Swift HTTP. Um, so Logan? I, I'm sorry, you cut out twice. I wanted to give some space for your edit. Um, oh, okay. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, so I was just talking about Swift HTTP, I think it's called, or Swift Server. It was just released. Okay. Um, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? It's like the first project uh, for the um, server working group? Yeah, so that's just sort of us getting started trying some things out. Um, and 
really uh, Chris and the IBM team have taken a lot of initiative on helping to manage that and organize that project. So are you like, how is that going to affect Vapor? Like, are you were just talking about how you guys mm -hmm. are all creating the same thing from scratch. Um, is this something that you guys are going to incorporate into Vapor? or? How yeah, so it's definitely something we want to support. Um, Vapor really likes focusing on high-level problems, um, trying to make the web experience better is kind of our tagline. We want to make things faster, smoother, um, and easier. And this is a company-sponsored framework. It's got a lot of backing. It's going to get more testing from more users, more contributors. Um, so for us, anything that we can get there and bring into our code that we don't have to deal with, that's amazing, and we would be silly not to use it. Um, so we need to make sure it fits in our existing framework and our vision for how our web framework should look. Um, and if it's not, then it's something that we would work with them to adjust to make sure that we could fit it in. Okay. I remember I spoke with Chris Bailey about this. We had him on the show, and he basically talked about these types of things, like HTTP, maybe even some security stuff, things that um, should there should be like a foundation, and then all of the frameworks can... Um, use those to sort of service their particular style or their particular clients. So this is just the one, this is like the first project of that. I wonder what, um, like, what are some things that might be coming next? Do you know? Or Yeah, so I would say next on the docket, the other one that's gotten a, a lot of hype behind it is security. Um, we're from, or I come from the camp that there's people that spend a lot of research money and a lot of time trying to make things extremely secure. And I think we're better off following their recommendations than trying to rebuild our own. Um, anything in the SSL layer is always very sensitive. Uh, we want to make sure we're getting it right. So if we can have more tests, more people on it, then it's definitely a benefit, not just for us, for the people who are ultimately using our websites, for all of the, all of the developers. Anything that's more secure is always going to be better. So I think there's a lot of push behind that from the community. That's really cool. It's really exciting to think that there will be this like foundation, this strong foundation for Swift on the web, and then uh, other creators will come in and sort of put their uh, extra sort of flavor on top. Can you talk a little bit more? You sort of mentioned it already about making it faster and easier, the web experience. Um, that's what Vapor is focusing on. So Absolutely. can you talk a little bit more about that? Like let's say uh, you know, the server working group it creates um, Swift HTTP, it creates Swift Security, Swift SSL, like it creates all these foundations. Then what is really left for a company or a group of people like Vapor to do? And what are you guys looking so forward to? Above that is quite a bit. Um, so we just have an extreme amount of code that we can look through, and that's maybe three of our libraries. Um, so it's something like HTTP parsing. Right now we're already using the Node HTTP parser. Um, we're actually compiling the C code from that, from that library, the open source one. Um, so it would be more or less swapping that out. Um, there's things like routing, how you build controllers, how you interact with the database, how you model your code. Think of something like Core Data. Core Data uses SQLite or whatever managing scheme underneath the hood, but Core Data is what adds all those benefits. Now, I know people have a lot of opinions on Core Data and what it should and should not do, and um, another popular one would be Realm, where there's a lot of how you model your objects um, and basically how you structure your code. And at the end of the day, there's a lot that we can fit in in the middle. <clears throat> Okay, so it's sort of like it'll be a different offering, but it's also just a particular taste. Like I like using Realm or I like using Core Data or I just like, you know, Vapor's style or Absolutely. I like Vapor, you know, I like Vapor's pricing or Vapor's, you know, other offerings that they have. Yeah, and if you're doing something like a micro framework on this really limited system where all you need is SSL and you need to get really down to the bone, um, 
at Vapor, we work really hard to be as thin as possible and not cost any performance, but there might be something that that's your only option. Maybe you're building, um, it's popular, a lot of people are trying to embed Swift and Vapor on um, like non-computer systems. Uh, the word is escaping like, me at the moment. Like a little embedded systems. Yes, embedded systems, thank you. Um, so there's a lot of push for that that I think people might use those for. And then Vapor, we also have our toolbox um, so things to automate processes, help you model your code out from maybe you build your database objects here and we can port that into code. We're always looking for ways to, to just reduce repeated behavior. Okay, so what does your work then consist of? Uh, are you like creating tickets, working on tickets? You work with your small sort of strategic team. You guys set out mm -hmm. a plan. You're sort of a businessman too maybe. Like what are your, what's your, what are your different roles? Um, a little bit of everything. Everybody kind of has different roles on our team and takes over um, a lot of different responsibilities. So right now we have four of us working full-time uh, on Vapor and Vapor Cloud, um, from operations guys to building the front end. Tanner, in addition to being a great coder, is an awesome designer. He does a lot of our logos and all of the work there. Um, Joannis has joined our team now, so he's been working really hard on optimization for Vapor 3. He's kind of just really committed to getting as low, as close to the metal as he can and just making things as fast as possible. It's an obsession and it's amazing. And um, if you've checked out his Mongo libraries at all, he gets them almost the same performance as C code out of Swift and he just spends time refining and really going through the optimization notes written by the compiler team. Um, and it's really cool to see. And then, so I'm on top level just sort of filling in. Um, we used to have a lot more work of building in various libraries. So originally wrote the HTTP parser, the original routing code, a lot of things like that. Um, nowadays, we need to make sure our finances are in order. We need to do things like pay taxes. Um, so there's a lot of responsibilities to go around and keeping things running. And then really just working hard on making stuff as good as we can for people. Yeah, real quick about the design. It actually is really beautiful. So shout out to Tanner. Good job. Uh, your guys' website is really beautiful. And just like the whole color palette, it, it is really cool. Um, so about finances, if you don't mind, like mm -hmm. if it's open source, like how does that work? I saw on the Vapor website there was like sponsors on the bottom. Are you guys like fully sponsor funded? or how? Does yeah, that so I mean we can get into the story a little bit. Um, circling back to what we were talking about earlier, Vapor was kind of taking off. Tanner and I were working really hard on it in our nights and weekends. Um, and we were approached by Nodes, which is a Danish mobile agency. Um, and they kind of said, hey, this is awesome. We think this would be great for our company. We spend a lot of time in Swift. We really like it. We would love if we could have our team writing Swift on the server as well, have more shared model code between iOS and the server. Um, what would it take for you guys to quit your jobs was basically the question. Wow. Um, so Tanner and I kind of took that to the side and at first, it seemed a little crazy, but we were excited about Vapor. Um, we knew it was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Stuff like that doesn't always happen. Um, and so we got enough money to really build out Vapor 1.0. Um, and that was really our only goal. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know where it would go, what it would be. We just knew that it, it was something and it was special and we needed to build it. Um, and we were super lucky to have the support of nodes. And then from there... We kind of went into our phase two, which was, okay, now we, we, need, to, we need to sustain this. Um, this is all warm and good, but 
at, at the end of the day, we all need to eat. So we started thinking about products. That's kind of where Vapor Cloud came from. It's a, it's a pretty natural progression. There's a few problems in the current hosting situation. Not necessarily problems, but what we would call inconveniences or things that waste time um, that we thought we could plug the hole and fill in that void um, and create a little market for ourselves. So we worked to build that. We picked up Jonas on our team, who is our awesome operations guy, awesome and swift, finance guy, king of all hats. Um, really sort of the architect behind um, a lot of what makes VaporCloud work and has been really successful so far with millions of requests a day. Um, so Nodes is using Vapor like in production? I mean, I'm assuming other yeah. people are too. That's really cool. And so the idea with sort of stage two or phase two was to move beyond just Nodes and like get other clients like Nodes. Yes, Yes. That's really awesome. And if you're able to tell us, like, how's that going? Is it are you, are you guys uh, making progress? So sort of good news, just last week, our Vapor Cloud service went to 1.0. Um, we're starting to get productions. We're starting to get uh, live money coming in. We actually already had clients um, on it, but it was more managed manually. They weren't through the interface as much. It was just something that um, we were using on our infrastructure. So we've had production code on Vapor Cloud for several months now. Um, but now we're opening it up to the public where you don't have to really contact us individually. Um, and we're really excited about it. That's really, really cool. Congratulations. Okay, I want to talk about Vapor Cloud. I want to talk about Vapor more specifically and, and all of the work that you're doing there. But before we do that, I just want to back up a little bit and uh, get to know you a little better. And normally I would ask uh, my guest, you know, how they got into programming. I'm gonna try something a little different and see how it goes. So I wanna get at the heart of, of, of why, I wanna just get as much as we can in the shortest period of time. So the first question I wanna ask you is, um, is programming a passion, is it a hobby, or is it just a job, or is it all three? Um, it's definitely all three. It started as a hobby, just a way to sort of escape what I had been doing. Wanted to check something else out. I saw a lot of career opportunities there and I was curious. Um, and then it sort of became a little bit more, became something I was passionate about. I realized it was more creative than I thought. Um, there's more opportunities to really be expressive in code than I thought there was. Um, and then sometimes it, it's a job and every once in a while you have to write some code or fix some problems that are boring or frustrating or not your fault. Maybe there's a bug in the framework somewhere then you have to find it or somewhere something is happening that's out of your control and you just have to figure out a way around it. So occasionally it can be just like you're beating your head up against the wall, but sometimes it's, it, it's really fun and you get to really create cool things. Yeah, I mean, even for me, it's definitely a passion, but I totally agree with that. Sometimes it is just a job, uh, and but it's like the those it's the interest, that passionate interest that really gets us forward. So why don't you take us back, if you can, to that mm -hmm. moment when you discovered that it was more than just a hobby, that it was actually a passion? Ooh, I don't know if I can pinpoint one specific moment. It was probably that first night that you sat down after at the end of the day to sort of check out programming because you've been having fun with it and then look at the clock and it's 2 a.m. <laughs> Do you remember what the feeling was? You talked a little bit about it. You said creativity. Uh, Can you describe maybe what the I feeling was probably or what the it is now? Oh, so, sorry to over talk to you a little no, bit. No, all I, good. I think probably the first time I ran an app on in my iPhone, I unplugged it and I had it in my hand. There's actually a really awesome program to give a shout out. It's called Pythonista. Okay. So I knew I wanted to learn iOS programming. That was my original goal. Um, but 
the beginner materials for what code was specifically was more in Python. So I picked up some Python first. And there's an app called Pythonista that you can write iPhone apps in Python. But more than that, you can just run Python console code. So I was writing little console apps and I could run them from my phone and I felt like that was the coolest thing. Like I could ask it for the weather and it would go search for the weather near me and print it out. <laughs> That's awesome. So did you get into programming to make iPhone apps? Yeah, so I really um, was sort of motivated by the reach of it. Uh, there's something really cool about an individual being able to submit something to this store and instantly millions of people can download it and use it and touch it and interact with it. Uh, and there's yeah. just something exciting about that. So before that Python and Pythonista, had you done any programming before? Uh, in high school, I built a web page once in HTML. Wow. In Notepad, no less. So would you say that you are a non-traditional programmer? Like you didn't really go to school to become a programmer, um, kind of came at it at a different angle? Correct. I um, was more or less graduating school and looking for a change. Um, originally I'd love to say it was more natural and drawn, but it was sort of financially motivated of me looking at the market and seeing that programming was a pretty good availability. Mobile seemed like it was the future. Um, people were excited about it. There were opportunities. Um, it just was something I wanted to be a part of. It's very inspiring to think that someone uh, who came to programming, it seems to me like late, you know, maybe you did a little in high school, but uh, you really started programming when you wanted to make an iPhone app, so it couldn't have been that long ago. Uh, and now you are, you know, working on this really popular web framework, open source like web framework. To me, that's really inspirational. Um, I would have guessed that you've been programming since you were like five or something like that. Oh. And so to know that that's not the case, it's really, um, really awesome. And I think it gives it'll give other people, um, it, you know, uh, a sense of. Uh, I don't know that they can do it too, to hear your story. Oh, absolutely. And the, the nice thing about programming is, I mean, the programmers building the internet are the ones on the internet a lot of the time. So the, the amount of learning materials and videos, and now with Slack, just accessible chat rooms that you can go talk with experts, it's, there's a lot of support out there for people to go sort of get, get their toes wet. Uh, what, uh, what was like the easiest and what was the hardest, uh, thing sort of getting into, uh, getting into programming? What do you remember being so easy, sort of it came natural and what do you remember being very hard? Um, I remember being really excited about animations and geometry and sort of drawing the different boxes on the screen and you could sort of use masks to make cool effects, um, and sort of figuring out clever ways to make animations work was something that. I don't know if it was easy, but it was it was something that I really enjoyed. So I was willing to spend a lot of time on it and get cool results. That it, it was the most satisfying, if not the most easy. Um, hardest, uh, I think, just gaps. When you when you come from a non traditional background, every once in a while you have gaps in your knowledge that you might not be aware of, um, that you're just sort of missing out on. So learning in isolation can be a little bit slower. Things like not properly understanding a breakpoint. So I, I spend longer debugging because I have to use more print statements. Um, not properly understanding what's happening at a bit level. So I, I don't know why this bug is happening or what this OR operator is doing. Um, not understanding Git. So I spend more time trying to manage my project and losing code that I could have saved and not properly handling features. So things like that that you kind of brute force your way through um, can make things a little bit slower. So the, coming, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I, that was the end of my thought. Sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, so coming from a non-traditional background and like facing these kinds of challenges, what would you say was something about you or the way that you attacked it? Um, like you mentioned brute forcing, for instance, mm-hmm. what was it that like helped you get to where you are? Uh, it was really satisfying and I really had a goal of like, um, I wanted to work in mobile. I wanted to build iOS apps and I just, I thought it was so cool to be able to touch something that you built on this device that feels so magical. Like computers have distilled down to a piece of glass in my pocket and everybody has this piece of glass in their pocket and there's something that makes you feel kind of cool knowing, Hey, I know what that's doing and I can make it do more stuff that I want. Um, where some people when they're walking around say, oh, I wish this did this. I think iOS developers and people learning Swift and people interested in this, there's this feeling of, oh, wait, I could build that. And that could be a thing. I'm going to look into this and like see what it would take. That sounds like a fun project. And it's just a lot of creativity that it's, it's motivating. Uh, so did you end up becoming an iOS developer? You mentioned that you did. So like, tell us a little bit about your work as an iOS developer before you, you know, left and started doing vapor full time. Yeah. So I, um, I graduated school and was looking for a career and I found in Boston, there was a startup called intrepid pursuits. Um, and they had what they called an apprenticeship program. And I really wanted to get in, so I sort of looked at what the requirements were. I practiced a bunch. I read all these manuals and um, submitted an app to the App Store and sort of used that as my application to say, like, hey, I can do this. Not, hey, I'm qualified, whatever, but because I certainly wasn't, and I just addressed that up front. Like, I'm not qualified, but I can do this. Like, look. And I was lucky enough to get through some of the tech interviews um, and joined up the team there for the apprenticeship, which was an awesome program and still is. Um, I guess I'll give another shout out. They're still in Boston and they're also in New York. They have a great apprenticeship program. If you're learning iOS and you've gotten to a good st- good um, position where you're looking to take the next step, you want to get hired and you really want to learn, um, that's definitely the way to do it. It's 12 weeks. Uh, I, I Some of these numbers might be off. I've been out of it for a while, but it's, it's just one of the best learning programs. I can't recommend it enough. My quality and knowledge as a developer in those 12 12 weeks was i just i i can't describe how much i learned there it was great what's it called um it's intrepid pursuits intrepid.io and so it's a it's like a boot camp or are they a company and then uh, they have this an apprenticeship? Is, so this is this is a mobile agency and they it's it's sort of their program to hire people so they they train you and then you're paid, of course. And then at the end, it's you join the program. It's kind of like any other internship. They just call it an apprenticeship, and it's definitely more focused on learning. Okay, so then after the 12, let's say it's 12 weeks, you either mm-hmm. continue working there or you know maybe they accept you as a full-time or you hopefully can get a job somewhere else. Yeah, uh, and I was accepted as a full-time and started working on tons of apps. And uh, I loved working at an agency. I know it's not for everybody. Some people like to really have a product. Um, but I think when I was learning and I was so early in my career, having a different app every few weeks or every few months, a different problem to solve was really exciting. And you also ended up jumping into a lot of different code bases. So you sort of learned a lot of good habits and a lot of bad habits. When you jump on a project that's been around for two years and you have two weeks to fix these problems, you sort of see where mistakes were made in the past, how things came to be, and you get some a, a better intuition about how to avoid those going forward. 
Yeah, I can see working at an agency, working on multiple projects, you know, in a month, let's say, it could be really fun. You're always changing environments um, and you, you have to be like very adaptable. I can also see it, mm -hmm. you know, being kind of frustrating because you have to kind of like relearn so much, yes. but also maybe more exciting because you're not just like working on the same you know, file or dealing with the same, you know, because after a while, all projects end up becoming, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like somehow they, uh, they all seem to, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so did you work at Intrepid the essentially like your whole time as an iOS developer until uh, Vapor? Yeah, so then at that point, um, I was working on Vapor on the side. We ended up getting a really cool opportunity, um, and I and I had to leave the company. Yeah. Okay, tell us a little bit about. Um, I'm assuming you started in Objective C. Tell us a little bit about yeah. your transition from Objective C to Swift. So um, <laughs> the first time I heard about Swift. I was at lunch with a friend and I got a text from, I think my brother saying, Hey, did you hear about this new language Swift from iOS? Like the way it was pitched to me was that, or the way I heard it, it was definitely not said this way, but was Apple decided to use an entirely new language. Everything that you did to learn Objective-C was a waste of time. Oh my and gosh. this was two weeks before I started my job that I had just gotten hired for. And I was like, oh my God, this is a language I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh -oh. I can't do it. So I look up Swift online. And at this time, the search results hadn't figured enough out. And there's another language in the world actually called Swift. And it's for like weather statistics analysis. What? So I found this and I was looking at it. Just thinking, oh my God, I can't do this. What is this? What are these learning materials? How am I going to learn this in two weeks? Uh, didn't know what to do. Eventually, I found the correct Swift language. Really liked it. It was tons of fun. I opened up a playground and just seeing the results of my code line by line executing. Sure, it was buggy. Sure, it crashed all the time. That was super cool. Um, and I, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, the uh, friend, I wonder who he was. And he, it's like kind of sucks that he totally gave you misinformation, you know? Oh, I don't think they did. They weren't a tech person. They, were, they just said, hey, there's this Swift language. What does this mean? And I didn't really know. So you didn't see the WWDC like, keynote when they announced it? No, this was this was really early. I I was not as involved in the, in the entirety oh. of the community. Up until this point, I had been working basically solo. I had never really interacted with another developer. Um, wow. I was on Stack Overflow, so I would ask questions every once in a while, but I, I was not involved in the space and I didn't really have a leg into it. Wow. Um, so but, would you say that maybe like Swift got you more involved in the community then? Absolutely. So Swift, I had two weeks before I started my job and I assumed when I got there, everybody would be writing 100% Swift. <laughs> That's just how it works. So those two weeks, I spent the entire time learning Swift, and I was on Stack Overflow, and it was really fun because everybody was discovering this at the same time. It wasn't Objective C was great, and there was all this legacy, but it, it often felt like I was coming in so late to the party. But Swift, you'd get you. I ended up in chat rooms on Stack Overflow where everybody was just excited and solving problems. And hey, have, has somebody figured out how to do this? Yeah, 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 and writing with people and working on tutorials and teaching new people. It was just a really exciting time to be involved in the community and it sucked me right in and, and I was hooked. Wow. Okay. So, but when you showed up on your first day, obviously people were using Objective-C. How did you feel? Of course. I, I felt duped, <laughs> but also funny. a little bit of sense of relief. Did you guys end up actually using Swift though in production before you left? 
We did. Um, so we got to use a lot of it, and we started with some mixed projects and changing things here and there. I would say Swift 2 is when we really started feeling comfortable that, th- that this is going to work. Awesome. Okay, I want to get into uh, Vapor, Vapor Cloud, and I think you have some little announcement maybe to make about uh, something related to Vapor. Um, you mentioned it before we started recording, so I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it yet. Um, okay, but before we do that, I want to do a quick announcement. I don't really have any particular announcement to make. I mean, kind of all the same stuff. Um, you know, hit me up if you want to start a meetup, uh, learn Swift uh, City anywhere around the world, wherever you live, it doesn't matter. Hit me up. We will help you start one. Um, check out the other podcasts, um, a part of the Swift Coders Network, um, Fireside Swift, the Learn Swift podcast. Um, hopefully I'll see you at uh, Swift Summit. I'll be emceeing, co-emceeing alongside Andy Hope. Um, yeah, and the but I did want to mention I got a cool Twitter message from somebody, and uh, his name's Daryl. Daryl, I hope you don't mind me um, talking about this on the air. Uh, Daryl, I believe, is the lead uh, organizer of Learn Swift Tokyo, and I wanted to mention this because kind of a follow up, uh, but I'll sort of try to read this message and paraphrase. Um, he, he said, "Hi, Garrick. I uh, message you. Just want to mention that I like your podcast, which you interviewed Brian Jeziak uh, so much that I felt so energetic and motivated after listening to it. I myself studied Japanese literature in college as well. He's talking about Brian Jeziak. If you remember, uh, Brian uh, studied Japanese literature and you know lived in Japan, worked in Japan. Um, so yeah, I studied uh, Japanese literature in college as well because I always I was interested in Japanese culture since I was a child. Then I started um, as an iOS programmer after graduating um, because of the same reason. Um, I wanted to oh I wanted to be able to talk to people in Japanese about something other than learning Japanese, which is what uh, Brian also felt. Um, and at the same time, I wanted to mention that as a programmer working in Japan, it doesn't necessarily suck. Uh, I don't think that's what Brian meant or what he was saying, but he was Brian basically said that uh, he it, they work you really hard, and Daryl is saying yes, they do work you really hard. Um, but uh, he, you know, he has he he says there are amazing companies that don't require a lot of overwork. So if you do want to come to Japan, you can find a really cool company to work with. Um, not that that's what Brian was saying, but I think that Daryl is, uh, he's just really feels passionate about this and wanted to share this. So it's a little bit of a follow up. Um, another fact worth mention is that the iOS community in Japan, especially in Tokyo, is so strong that there are also many meetups happening here almost every day and conferences as well. He mentions Try Swift in uh, Tokyo, iOS DC, um, which is um, more Japanese oriented. And he says that. Um, Ray Fix recently just came um, and gave some sort of talk. Uh, Ray Fix wrote the Swift Apprentice book, he says. He gave a talk on Swift types visualization in Japanese, which blew all of our minds. Um, yeah, he said he studied Japanese in college as well. So anyways, thank you so much, Garrick, for offering such an amazing podcast. And good luck emceeing at Swift Summit. Anyways, thank you, Daryl, for that message. And thank you for sort of the follow-up. All right, uh, we're back with Logan. Logan, let's get into uh, Vapor. And real quick, before we do that, I want to ask you, uh, what is it about Swift, would you say, that uh, makes Vapor sort of better? Or like, wh- like, what is it about Swift that you know allows Vapor to sort of exist or may even make it interesting? And then I want to start talking a little bit too about like, what can we do to um, you know, to make Swift better so that things like Vapor can be better. 
So if you have any opinions on that, uh, that'd be cool to talk about. Oh man, that's some huge questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is sort of, I like, I like to, you know, we have a lot of people that work with Swift that listen to the podcast. So this is sort of our time to sort of say thank you and sort of let them know where our head's at moving forward. Yeah, so um, tons of things. Uh, one is just the compiler team there built a really good language and compiled it to be very, very performant and very, very, pa- very, very fast. Where just out of the box doing standard operation things that people are doing in other languages were just light years faster. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to say that. We're considerably <laughs> faster. Um, and then being so strongly typed and being so compiler uh, friendly up front. It helps you find bugs early. So um, sort of the phrase is runtime error, compile time error. I'd much rather find my bug when I try to compile my app than find out when 30 users have been deleted from my database. Right. Um, so having these types of protections in place at the language level, at the compiler level, so strict, really forces you to think about your code, um, and it really helps just safety overall. So when we're building Vapor, we try to be an extension of that and add to that type safety, which is kind of a tricky thing um, and something we talk a lot about at Swift or at Vapor and when we're talking about Swift with people is sort of a, a pain point in Swift for us and for what we do at Vapor is taking this very stringy web and turning it into a very strictly typed language like Swift. Um, everything in the web is, is string protocols. A lot of these were written in 1990s. Um, we, have the H, we have the HTTP protocol that comes in. It's literally just a, a, a list of strings that we need to know how to interpret and parse through um, coming from slugs that you type in the URL. And we want to make sure we can turn those into, into objects, into things you can use, into what they actually represent in a fast, safe way that you can feel confident is coming, coming through in your code. Yeah, what can we really do, though? Um, because, I mean, ultimately, it is just text, right, that has to get sent mm-hmm. um, over the web. I mean, there's no, there's not, like, some other way, right? We can't send, like, I can't send you some object over the web, I guess. I mean, you can use, like, protobuf, I think, or JSON, right? But ultimately, those are just strings. So, like, what can, what can, what more really can the language do um, or the way we use the language um, to sort of, not fight against that type safety. For instance, I know like um, Chris Eidhoff and Florian and Swift Talk did a really cool um, video on uh, routing and like functional routing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so one thing is that there are other protocols that aren't strings. So something like WebSockets, if you get down into the protocol level, it's really not based on strings. The The first few bytes have signifiers, so maybe bits. I I'm going to butcher this because I haven't written the WebSocket protocol in over a year. But um, (laughs) it's something like the first half of byte one represents what packet it is. The second half represents how how long it is. uh, And you really parse the information at a byte level. And everything has specific codes for how that should be. Um, So where the same information we get in an HTTP code in four bytes, we can get in one. Something as simple as a number in HTTP. In HTTP, when we get the length of a message, we'll get 1,000 as text. So we have to turn that into a string and then interpret the 1,000 text string back into an integer to use. Where something like WebSockets, because we have a byte and we're parsing at the byte level, it'll just give us 1,000 in that single byte. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of cool protocols and things that are coming. Um, HTTP2 solves some of the problems where we're getting away from being so stringy in at, at the web protocol level. Okay, so that's not necessarily something that would be baked into the language. 
No. But something baked into the language that just came out with Swift 4 that we're pretty excited about is the uh, codable properties. Um, yeah. And being able to add codable extensions to our objects, that really helps um, keep the stringy layer at the language level and, and helps people translate objects more confidently. Did you say codable extensions to your objects? Uh, yeah, I mean, like ex extending your object to conform to codable. Okay, because I was just yep. trying this uh, yesterday or the day before, and I thought that you can't actually extend your objects to conform to an encodable and decodable or codable, like in an actual extension. Like it has to be in the main body. Ooh, don't know that I've I don't know that I've done it not in the main body. So I, oh, okay, okay. I, I don't want to speak to this and, and, okay. and get a bunch of people writing me. Okay, I thought that's what you meant though when you said extend, but you mean just like oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Conform. Yeah. Yeah, Conform. Yeah. yeah, it's actually interesting. Like the compiler message. And this was in a struct, so I don't know. Oh, I guess I am I feel like it would have it makes sense to me that it would have to be in the main body because that's where properties have to be declared, right. which are the, the key components for codable. Right. Um, I've never done it in an extension, but it's just kind of rolled off the tongue and now we're stuck in this 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 hole of um statements yeah yeah no that's okay um so no but it's interesting actually because the compiler message was really cool it said um codable conformance cannot be um whatever i don't know completed executed or something in an extension yet like literally the word yet oh. was there and i was like thinking about you know who wrote that you know that's great so i love it just a little teaser, just a... Yeah. Okay, well, that's really cool. I'm glad to know that there are, you know, things about, for instance, Swift 4, you know, that is just released that are, is making your work um, at Vapor, you know, easier and, and better to work with. So again, shout out to the Swift team, everybody that contributes to Swift. Thank you so much. Now let's get into more about Vapor specifically. So uh, tell us about, uh, you know, working with Vapor. Like why does someone want to choose uh, vapor in particular over something else that's out there? Um, so a lot of reasons. Um, the most popular web framework in the right, the, sorry, the most popular framework in the world right now, I believe is Ruby on Rails, just based on numbers. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to pick that. You have a big community, you have a lot of packages. Um, but again, it's a different language. You have to learn Ruby. Um, it's a stringier language, so it's, it's less compiler safe. Um, and there's kind of trade-offs there. And then performance isn't going to be as fast because it's not a compiled language. Uh, we just we have a benefit out of the box being a compiled language. So you could look at Swift and Vapor, um, where at this point our packages are getting pretty up and coming, where the community around Swift on the server is getting big enough that you can usually find a package to include in your project for most things. And then if you're like me, when you don't find a package, it's kind of fun you get to go make it and really be a part of it um, and the community is just exciting and people want to help out you come into a chat room you pitch a project and people get into it and they start throwing around ideas so it's kind of just it's fun to participate in the creation of this and really help define the direction of it i mean we're still finding our footing we're we're only three years into into swift on the server not even um, so really participating in that venture uh, and then if you're an iOS developer, you're using familiar tools. And if you have an iOS project just beyond personal developer, uh, sharing code is generally better. If you're running the same model code on the server as you are on the phone, odds are you're not going to run into bugs as often between the two. Um, so there's a lot of benefits there just sharing things. And that's something that we're working towards more in the future. 
Um, if you've you, if you've only done iOS development, you probably wor haven't worked too much with the Swift Package Manager, but it's really really nice. They did a great job on it. It makes it super easy to integrate third-party packages. Um, it's really easy to use with Xcode and generate projects. Um, but right now with iOS, there's a few little hiccups that make it kind of tricky. Um, but they're working on it super hard. Um, it's it's a pretty complex problem. Um, and as we get more of that, you'll really see shared model code more and more. Um, Let's say I am an iOS developer. I decided I want to create a my you know my web API or my web application uh, in Swift, and I'm going to choose you know one of these frameworks. Why why might I uh, try out Vapor? Like, what should I? What would so yeah? My my favorite part off the bat is the Vapor community. Um, we've been really lucky from day one. We really try to make. We tried to make that a focus, that we wanted it to be a place that was fun and inviting um, and helpful and people could come and participate with each other in, in a pretty exciting way. Um, and that's, that's kind of my favorite part. We have a Slack group and people are in there ch chatting, helping each other solve problems, showing projects they built with Vapor. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of community support around that, and I, I think that's a cool thing. But that's also, at the end of the day, the CTO of multi-million dollar company is probably considering more things than spending a good time in Slack. Um, so the other parts would be just performance. Um, we're, we're fast, we're safe, we're consistent. We have production code up on servers from lots of companies. Um, wow. We're, we're getting millions of requests a day, run through our cloud infrastructure, run through Vapor apps. Uh, we're, seeing, we're starting to get more and more resilience. Um, it's just good time to get into it so i mean based on what you said it sounds like swift on the server is real like is it yeah because i mentioned it to some people like you know let's say i'm an ios developer at tinder and i might talk to like a web developer at tinder and i'll be like yeah swift on the server and uh you know they might be like oh yeah you know or, or something like that and it's like you mm -hmm. know node node started probably in that same boat like so tell us a little bit about the state of if you can swift on the server so in our opinion it's it's on the server there's production apps out there that are running Swift on the server. Um, you've probably, or maybe not you, but people have been visiting websites that are powered by Vapor and they don't see it, it's pretty seamless, but it's it's out there and it's happening. Um, and companies are trying it, some of the bigger ones for a microservice here or there. Um, wow. I would say that it's still, there, there's sort of um, some hurdles you have to overcome, which is the confidence where you need people to use it, but people don't want to use it until they're confident in the stability of the platform. Um, so it's kind of a little bit of a waiting game. So you get a lot of the early adopters and people who are willing to take a little bit of an extra risk. But for us, every day it becomes less and less of a risk. We get higher profile companies coming in and talking to us, more complex projects, people doing things like um, interacting with big databases, uh, big companies, it's just it's coming about now, and I would say um, this is kind of a good segue into our Vapor Three. Uh, we're about to come out with Vapor Three. We're, we're right around the corner from our alpha release. Um, we're really excited about it, and we see it as a really refined version of the framework. Um, it's very forward-looking, so we spend a lot of time chatting with the Swift team and seeing where Swift Evolution is taking the language and trying to align ourselves to the language to make sure that we're preparing for things coming down the line, staying with the intentions of the community and how people are using the language. Um, and we're just really excited about that. And we see that as a very stable position. Um, and the analogy I like to use is the Swift language itself. So Swift 1 came out. 
we're excited about it. We don't really know what we're doing. It's it's kind of looks like Objective C. They took a lot of cues from Objective C, and they it, it was here and it was something. And then Swift two came along and they started to refine it. People started to figure out, oh, this is cool, but like we don't need this stuff. We don't want to we don't want to be Objective C. We're our own thing. And then when Swift three came out, it felt like a really guided hand. Like the the community really knew what they wanted. Um, a lot of the little weird bugs had been shaken out, um, and it felt just like a very refined um, process. And the way it integrated, and then Swift 4 came around, and there was less of a difference. Um, we're getting pretty comfortable with the API. We're starting to have a real style as a community. Uh, we see Vapor as the same way. So Vapor 1 came out. We took a lot from Laravel, the way Swift did from Objective-C. Um, and we we were kind of figuring our way out and we were trying to build things like other web frameworks and kind of taking cues here and there. And then with Vapor 2, we started to figure out how people were using Vapor. We spend a lot of time talking to people who are using it, um, developers who are building with it, people who want to participate and sort of taking feedback everywhere we can. We try to take that and try to really solve the problems people are having. And then with Vapor 3, we think we just took that to another level. Um, we're really iterating on the things that are working, trying to listen to people for what's not, um, and then prepare for the future of Swift language. One of the things is sort of um, async and some of the plans for the language that way and how we're getting around um, making sure that we're ready for that. So we're really excited about it. We think it's going to be st a more stable API for a longer time, um, and it's just a good time to get in. When uh, can you see Vapor 3 coming out? Uh, so th that we never really announced times. Uh, we haven't released Alpha yet. That should be out in the next few weeks. I can say that. Um, but we really need people to get their hands on it and see what comes. Sometimes we put things out and people bang on it and it goes well. And sometimes things need work. So we we need to really get a feel from our community and how they're receiving it before we can pick a, pick a release date. And sort of related, is Vapor a part of the Swift compatibility suite? Uh, I believe it is. Yes. That's cool. One uh, challenge we're we're sort of talking about Swift and the state of Swift on the server. I feel like if let's say I'm making an iOS app and that's it, and I but I need a web application like that makes sense. I'll you know build my web application in Swift. But it seems to me like a lot of uh, projects like the back end is sort of driven by the web or like sort of just this other kind of crew of people that don't really know anything about or even care about front end or iOS or mobile. Um, do you agree with that? And like, if so, how do you see that sort of playing out potentially? Hmm. I mean, there's, it's definitely, definitely a different flavor of development, but part of it is just, it's, it has different requirements. So, uh, something I came from iOS, like I might get yelled at for saying this, but you really don't need to optimize that much in iOS. Uh, if you're running a basic app, a lot of stuff just works, and it's better to have really clear, readable code in the long run for that code base than something that is negligible. Every user who's using your program has their own computer in their pocket running that program. Right. And then you get on the server, and we're taking a computer with considerably fewer resources than the iPhone in your pocket and we're handling millions of requests. So there's kind of different problems where some optimization really is important. You can't be lazy about how you assemble that string. Um, so there's sort of different things that then people bring to iOS and there's different flavors of development that there, there'll definitely be some cross-pollination. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think API designers spend a lot of time thinking about things and I, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt, I hope. Um, 
But I, I also think just anytime you can have a more diverse background, things usually end up being better in the long run. Yeah, I wonder how it's going to play out. And I think it's really exciting to watch it grow. Like it'll it'll be really cool to see some, you know, back end people like talking about Swift and like we, we were mm-hmm. just. I remember hearing, you know, chatting with some some back end guys at, at work, and I think they were talking about how cool Go is or something. And and mm-hmm. I remember like people comparing Swift and Go on the server. Um, and you know, Go is also very fast and and lightweight. And so I don't know it's just really cool. I, I'm excited to like see how that might play out in the future. Um, okay, let's talk about Vapor as a product and all the different products that you sort of have. You mentioned so there obviously there's the web framework, and then mm-hmm. there's Vapor Cloud. Uh, and then now uh, Vapor 3 is coming out. So like, what is, what is the Vapor like entail? What does it include? Like, you know, what is a web framework? What is all there? Because I know there's other things too. There's like Leaf and there's a thing called like, oh, yeah. Droplets. So like, what, are, what do I get when I get Vapor? And then talk about the other things. Like, what is exactly Vapor Cloud and what else do you sort of give us? Sure. So Vapor um, is sort of becoming less and less the name of the framework itself and more of just the idea. Um, it'll still always be like, the, the Vapor framework is the core set of APIs you need to interact with the web. Um, that is Vapor. It'll, it'll pretty much always be that. It's really the basics to get a website up. Um, but there's a lot more that's involved in most websites, backends, whatever you're using. So whenever there's a pack, we need a package or we solve a problem, our philosophy is open source, so we try to put everything out whenever we can. Um, so we have a lot of things. We have the toolbox, which is a CLI application that you can use. It helps make projects run a little bit easier. Um, we can help out with a few things. You can use it to interact with the cloud if you want to use that to host your project. Um, we have Leaf, which is sort of our markdown renderer um, or our um, templating engine. You can use other templating engines if you want. We found this one um, to be useful for us. Um, and so do you, historically, some of this stuff comes about for different reasons, um, where at the time we didn't have templating engines that could run on the web and we needed something. Uh, we wanted to come up with a really clear syntax that we could parse quickly, that would be safe for users to use, that we could put up on our web framework so people could start templating. Um, so a lot of times we solve problems this way and then people start using it, people like it, so we maintain it and we keep it around. Um, we also have projects like Fluent, which is a database interaction, um, really making that layer easier to work with, easier to query things and fetch objects, um, and then just a bunch of other stuff around security. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have a Vapor community uh, organization, and that's sort of more community-driven, where Vapor things are really critical systems. Um, we need to make sure we have proper review of them. We need to make sure that all the code is being um, handled internally and what we're focusing the, the bulk of our time on. And then we have Vapor Community, which is packages that people have built for Vapor or around Vapor that they want a little bit of help with. They want to make sure that they stay maintained. Um, so they can host them under that organization with us. We'll help them keep it maintained. We'll help them make sure it, it's compatible with Vapor. And then it gives you sort of access to a, suite, uh, a whole host of developers who want to just participate in the project and who are excited about Vapor and building things around it. Um, and then beyond that, we have Cloud. So Cloud is our hosting service. Um, if you build a Vapor app, you can use Cloud. It's fast. Um, we built it to be as cost-effective as possible. Um, it's on AWS for reliability. You get things like compile times, scalability. Anything you could want from a hosting platform, Cloud is going to do, and it's going to do it seamless and quickly. Okay, so let's take a couple of those like piece by piece. So a Leaf, you guys actually built that, you said, yourself? Correct, yeah. 
That's really cool. I think I looked at it, um, and essentially it's kind of like a mustache or a stencil. Yeah. It's a templating language that basically converts your Swift code, which it almost looks like a separate language, but you're writing it in Swift, like you use a lot of percents and things like that, mm-hmm. but it, it converts that to HTML, am I correct? It's, it's more for like web pages or emails that you would say like, hello, hashtag, you'd use the syntax for first name, and then we would, when you pass it an object, we would render the web page for that user. So showing that user's models instead of serving in, uh, a static HTML page or something. Okay, cool. And then I want to talk about cloud because I don't really understand like wh- what are you actually doing? Like you basically are a layer between me and a- and AWS, which I actually tried to set up <laughs> AWS one time. I think with Perfect actually, and like it was, I just gave up. And like it was supposed <laughs> to be easy. Is that what sort of cl- one of the things that cloud does is sort of make it super easy for me to get my Vapor application hosted on AWS? Yeah, it's all about easier, faster. That That's kind of our whole philosophy at Vapor. Um, and AWS is totally a valid hosting solution. And actually, um, I'm not sure if it's still true, but originally their docs for Swift used the Vapor framework. So it's it's there's information out there about how to host Vapor on your own on AWS. Um, and if that's the route you want to go, it's perfectly valid. Um, but it can be hard and it can be maintenance where if I'm one or three developers, or I've got, I don't have somebody full-time, full-time focusing on operations, it's something that I might not want to deal with. Um, And not that I can't, it's just an extra day of my week, it's an extra hour here and there, making sure things are updated that I don't want to spend. Where Vapor Cloud, you tell it to deploy, you create a project, and you're basically live. Um, Things like setting up a database, you need to make sure that you're building that, how you're hosting it, do you host multiple entities? What if you get a million requests tomorrow? Are you prepared to scale up for that? Will, will it scale up automatically? Then you have to build those systems. Um, so as, as you start getting into it, it starts sounding a lot like another job, and a lot of companies have multiple people focused on just that layer. So if you're a team who doesn't have another team to keep their website live, you're going to probably want some help with that or somebody... Um, making making those those uh, accommodations for you so that's that's what cloud does and that's that's the problem that we're trying to solve okay one i'm interested in learning about like you, you talk about like getting up and running very easy so mm-hmm. what what do you because i've tried this before i mean i've tried katura i've tried perfect i even tried vapor and i use the toolbox mm-hmm. and i think i can pretty much get like hello world up and running. I think I even did one where I was able to like send an ID and like I got like a different, you know, string back or something like that. Nice. Um, like what are your thoughts? Like maybe you can even take us back to when you first tried uh, Vapor and you wrote that blog post. Like, and then, you know, maybe even compare that to now. Like what's the state of getting people up and running? What are the challenges and like what are, what can we do to make it um, easier for people to, you know, a lot. Of, for instance, maybe like I'm an iOS developer. I do iOS development all day long, but I've never really done backend development. So how do we get people like that, you know, into into this, you know, to 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 get them to do this type of application, this type of Swift yeah. application? How can we help them? So for us, it's it's just reducing that friction, and one of them is things like load balancers and how to field your requests and getting up on AWS and 
and taking that away to a quick tutorial that you can hop on, sign in with your username, and have a live address. So we kind of talked about my most exciting moment, which was running um, running my program on my phone. Like there's something that that feels more tangible about that. It's more real. And I think for building a backend or building a website, the moment that that particular project starts to feel like it's happening is when it has an address you can send somewhere. You can open it up on another computer. You can you're running your code in the cloud and accessing it from your do- accessing it from your domain. Like Not that's just a, locally that's, on a computer. Yeah, there's something. If you're out there, you're in the world. A, a web spider could could stumble upon you or something. Um, it's it makes it feel real. So just reducing the friction to that point, I, I think, is important. And then. Like you said, we're iOS developers, a lot of people getting into it. We have a surprising amount of people coming from other backend languages and learning Vapor for the first time. Yeah, I would say awesome. almost 50%. Um, wow. Yeah, really, really excited to see that. Something that we weren't expecting. But iOS developers and even people from other languages, there's parts of systems that we just don't understand. Um, sometimes people will host their own Linux box somewhere and forget to properly secure various ports where if you do host a Linux box and leave it open, sometimes those are on IP addresses that are known by hackers and they will they will just ping you. And I've, I've sat with people with an IP and you can just watch IP addresses coming from across the world just pinging it, seeing if there's any vulnerabilities. Um, the web is a dark, scary place and not knowing that stuff, you leave yourself vulnerable. So something like cloud, we take care of the security. We want to make sure that we're handling, making sure that we have everybody encrypted with proper SSL certificates um, and doing everything we can to just sort of remove layers of vulnerability. Now, nobody's perfect. Um, every system is hackable. We've all heard those ad- those adages. And it's something that take the best steps you can to avoid it and follow best security practices. And if it's not something you want to devote your time to, it's probably safer to use um, somebody who's going to make sure that you're doing that right. What about getting beyond Hello World? Do you feel like there are good resources on like what to do next? Because that's how I feel like I'll get Hello World up and running and then I'm like, okay, well, what? I don't understand. Like, I literally don't understand. Like, What am I even looking at? What is this? Um, my uh, coworker uh, Garo, he just mentioned the other day, like it's sort of the opposite of NSURL or a URL session where we send like a request and we get a response back. Yeah. You're kind of looking at the other end of that, but I just don't know what to do next. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on there? What are you guys doing to make that sort of next step uh, easier and better? Yeah, so it's definitely the other half of the URL session. Um, it's just kind of, and I will, I will say there are definitely resources. There's pretty cool projects out, projects out there. Um, one of them is a really awesome project. It's called Broken Hands, and they build a, um, a blog platform, and they use tons of great features within Vapor. It's kind of become our like model of check this project out if you're looking to learn something. Um, I would say getting users and stuff and getting logins and figuring out sessions. Um, we touched on this earlier, but... In iOS, the code is running for the user that's using that phone. But on the back end, the biggest difference is there's a user remotely trying to access, and you need to make sure that you're, you're handling that user's request differently than other requests. And sort of figuring out who this user is across time, um, that's basically what cookies is. And everybody's very scared of cookies, and in the EU you have to warn about cookies. And it's a whole big thing, but that's kind of just how the web works. And it's basically how do we know that it's the same that it's you from request to request without doing that. 
Um, so to provide a web experience, it's kind of just the way it's done. It's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's just like a different problem or it's like a similar problem, yeah. but it's different. Like I, I like how you said that. It's like on the web, you're trying to identify who the person is that's accessing this remote service and then provide whatever experience it is that that you know you want or they want. And you need to do that for multiple, potentially multiple users across time. It's really Absolutely. cool. I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. And then the other half of your question was sort of just, what do you do? That's that's the idea. That's tough. I'm, I mean, go online anywhere. There's people putting out ideas and websites that they want. But I would say just follow that thought to completion when you're walking around and saying, oh, I wish it did this. Or like, ah, this website is annoying because it doesn't have this. Or I wish there was a centralized place for X, Y, Z. Build it. So my feeling is that you're... I mean, Swift on the server is real. It's happening. People are using it. And my feeling is it's, it's hopeful. Uh, what's, what's your feeling? Are you hopeful that it's going to get better uh, in the sense that more people are going to be doing it and it's going to just be literally better, like cheaper and faster and, and, um, and you know, more fun? And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of the above. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Swift on the server. Um, I think it's definitely going to happen. I think people are, I mean, it, it already is happening. Um, it uses fewer resources than other languages. And at the end of the day, that saves power, that saves electricity, and ultimately saves money. Um, and then we just like the language. Uh, people who use Swift, I, I think in the Stack Overflow survey, it's one of the most loved languages. People who work in it really like working in it. Um, people feel good about it. I know there's a lot of guff sort of back and forth, but I personally like Xcode. I think it's a good development environment. I think the debugging environment is really good. Um, I, I think people are excited about it, and I think we're only going to see it grow more and more. So when you work on Vapor, you work on it in Xcode? Yes. That's cool. Awesome. Okay. Um, are you surprised um, by the speed with which Swift on the server has become a reality? Do you feel like it's gone slow? Do you feel like it's gone fast? What are your thoughts there? Um, I would say it's gone a little bit faster than other languages. So other languages were around for a long time, and then somebody came along and built a framework that really popularized it. Uh, like what, what Rails did for Ruby um, is, is huge. And it still took Rails a long time to catch on and really become mainstream and production-ready and um, really popular among new startups. Um, so I would say we're moving faster, but it's also a lot of advantages that, that we didn't do. We're just sort of lucky to be a part of. And one of them is it's an Apple language. Mm -hmm. So we automatically have millions of developers. I, I don't know if that's too high. A lot of developers who know the language, know the tool set, um, and are learning it for this other platform for iOS, for Mac OS apps and bringing them over to the server. It's just sort of learning our framework. So we, we have the added bonus there where a lot of Ruby developers come in, they don't know Ruby or Rails. So it, it's, it's, it's helpful in that respect that when people go to look for a framework, they already know Swift. That's half the battle there. They can just hop right on and use their same tools. All right, we're back with Logan. I lost you there for a second. I was just asking you about whether or not there needs to be a clear winner in terms of Swift web framework. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? So I would say definitely not. Um, there's different tools for different jobs and different people who like different things. Um, having competition helps breed uh, new solutions to problems. It helps us not get complacent. Um, I think overall it's good for the community. Um, I think it's a pretty friendly 
community right now where a lot of the different web frameworks sort of work together. We're collaborating on the Swift HTTP libraries. Um, and I, I think it's really good for everybody, and there doesn't need to be a clear end-all, be-all. Awesome. All With right, that let's... said, though, you should use Vapor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, for sure. I love it. Okay, so we have reached the end, but before we go, I want to do a couple things. Uh, so let's do a quick rapid fire. Uh, one second, let me pull that up. Um, all right, so first question is, what drives you? Uh, I really like to create things. I like to build new things. I like to solve problems. My favorite part of my job is when somebody shares a website that they built with Vapor and we get to feel like we were some part of their creative process building this thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I can imagine uh, how satisfying, gratifying that feels. Uh, what do you do when you're not programming? Oh, man. Whatever I can. I like to travel. I like to eat food. If there's a tasting menu or a tapas place, I'm always interested. I play music quite a bit. Um, any and all of the above. What instrument do you play? Um, so I play guitar. I also like to write music quite a bit. That's actually what I went to school for originally. Oh, wow. Awesome. Desktop or laptop? Laptop. So trackpad, uh, standing, sitting... Uh, I generally work in all different places. I'm a pretty mobile person, so I use the trackpad, but I prefer a mouse with a mechanical keyboard if I can get one. Um, and I like to alternate between standing and sitting whenever I can. Nice. All right. Do you use Git? And if so, do you use the command line? Do you use the GUI? Git command line. I've used two GUIs. One confused me, and the other one force pushed a project, and I deleted it and never looked back. What do you say? I, I've been getting some flack from some people about, um, you know, because I like using the command line. Yeah. Uh, what do you say to somebody when they say, oh, man, like, you know, you should use a GUI? I think they're wrong. But I will say <laughs> <laughs> I do use the uh, diff editor in Xcode. I, I think that's a pretty nice visualization if I want to look at okay. a side by side of my code. But I do all of my commands and committing from the command line. Uh, once, if you've been using it a while, you have all your aliases set up and you have some yeah. uh, additional tools to make it nice. Uh, I, I, I just really like it and I feel more confident in what, what I'm doing from the command line. I hear that a lot though about like seeing the diff. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to try doing that, like taking a look at Xcode. I downloaded tower and tried using it. Yeah. Um, I might still use it. But I might use the the diff in Xcode a little bit more. So for me, All my right. eyes get pretty trained to like my color scheme and how things look, where it's just easier for me to read my code in the same color set. Um, right. Having the Xcode diff, it just makes me feel a little bit more confident. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. That's really good. Uh, okay, uh, when you're on the command line, are you using Vim? Using Emacs? You're opening up Sublime? Uh, just terminal. I'll use Vim if I if I need to. Okay, but I don't like so, it or feel strongly about it. It's just right, right. But like, let's say you got to edit, like, uh, let's say you're mer you know, doing like resolving a merge conflict or something. You opening like the PBX project file in like Vim, or oh. you're doing it. I don't even think you can open it in Xcode when it's like that. No, I I would probably open it in Atom or something. Okay, cool. Um, I'll awesome. use Vim for small stuff, or if I'm editing like remotely on Linux. But I do want to say. Small props to server-side Swift. We don't have a PBX proj file, and you actually get ignore your Xcode project because you generate it locally each time. So all of that is just not a thing. There's no conflicts ever. 
So there's no like build configuration that needs to be sort of shared or something, or is that a part of the package manifest that, or that that's mostly the package manifest and they're sort of working on some other things that you can share along the way, but not, not really. You sort of define how the project should be built and you can use Xcode or another editor um, and it's all just generated locally. Wow. That's really cool. Okay. It's really nice. Um, tabs or spaces. Uh, honestly, whatever Xcode does automatically. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, okay. And, uh, tests or no tests? I'm assuming Vapor's oh, tested. Always, always, always tests. Please write tests. Right on. Okay. I'm going to hop over to your Twitter, uh, profile. Again, um, that's at, probably not much going on there. <laughs> at log maestro. Log maestro. Oh, log, log maestro. Oh, like Logan. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, your profile picture looks like you're on the ocean. Oh, I am actually whale watching and whale watching was okay. But the coolest part was driving to whale watching because we were driving into a really powerful headwind and you could like lean forward into it. Uh, and we oh, cool. were just sort of playing in the wind and having a good time. And I really like your jacket. It's like a, I don't know what that is. It's really nice though. It's like dark blue. I love jackets. So great to hear. Um, some people buy a lot of pairs of shoes. I travel pretty light these days, but one of the hardest things giving up was my multi, my multiple jackets for all possible scenarios. Um, okay. And I see that you don't tweet that much. One of your last tweets was, um, I guess May 17th, you retweeted that Vapor 2 is here. So congratulations. Oh. And Vapor 3 <laughs> is on very close. I'll make sure it gets it. another retweet. Yeah. I'm not the most yeah. active on social media. If you want to chat with me, um, our team Slack is probably the best way. Um, or our, or va- our um, company Vapor. Yeah. Or our, the Vapor uh, Twitter is, is more active. Oh, or the Vapor Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, um, Logan, you know, for coming on the show today, sharing your story with us, telling us about, uh, you know, how you got started with programming, you know, your non-traditional program, just a uh, background, just like me and, uh, you know, getting into iOS development and now working, uh, on vapor, really, really awesome. And just, you know, sharing all this information about Vapor, I can tell you're very passionate about it. And I'm really glad there are people like you working on Swift on the server. It's definitely something I've messed around with. I hope to do more of it and to really have an understanding and confidence in it like I have with, uh, with iOS development. And it's people like you in the community that make that possible, at least for someone like me, because I really rely on you know, real world, you know, examples and, um, and all the free resources really out there. Um, it's just really amazing, good free resources out there. Um, I'm going to, I want to do something slightly different. Uh, you normally, we end with, um, one piece of advice for people learning Swift, but, um, mm. actually real quick before you yeah, do the ahead. end, can I just say, uh, like a shout out to everybody on the vapor team, Jonas and Tanner, Worked crazy hard to get cloud out the door, uh, making sure all the systems were running properly, testing it, fielding millions of requests a day. It's been awesome. Joannis from Mongo Kitten just joined our team. He's been kicking butt, getting Vapor 3 ready, optimizing everything. Um, and just major shout out to the entire Vapor team and the community who's been using it. We wouldn't be anywhere without you guys like helping us out, building tutorials, just really believing in the code base and getting on board. It's been awesome. The support is awesome. And we're just excited to be a part of it all. Yeah, 
I was actually going to ask you if you want to do a shout out, but like you kind of already mentioned a bunch of people, so I wasn't sure. I'm so glad that you took it upon yourself to to do that. So yeah, feel free, especially if you have anything else that, I mean, that was a really good shout out, but if you, I don't want you to feel rushed. If you want to say anything mm-hmm. else, feel free because uh, shout outs are great, you know, but that was a really nice one. <laughs> I don't know, just everybody, like I... Yeah, you never get where you are without a help from a lot of people. And I'm sure I'm forgetting too many to count. So just everybody that I'm forgetting, like it's it's been a pretty wild ride being part of the the entire server situation and the community and all of it. It's just been positive the whole way. Sometimes online communities can get a little bit sour and tough. And this one's just it's it's a really positive place to be and I'm I'm really happy to be a part of it. I totally agree. I think it's one of the best things about the Swift community. I think it it has something to do with Swift. Uh, in and of itself, um, it's very accessible language, and it's a, um, I, and the iPhone touching so many people. I think it's bringing lots of different people to the community, and the community itself is already really nice and open, um, you know. And so, yeah, I totally agree. It's a great community to be a part of, and it actually is kind of related to what I was going to sort of end with. Normally, I end with Perfect. one piece of advice for people um, learning Swift. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to start sort of skewing this more towards working Swift developers. Uh, still want to be very welcoming to people that are new to Swift, but we have the Learn Swift podcast led by uh, uh, Stephen Sherry. Uh, and so that's definitely a resource. So, uh, and who knows, maybe I'll, I'll have him do the one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Nice. Um, but what I want to end with is one piece of advice for people coming. Uh, how should I say this? One piece of advice for people in the Swift community. Um, you, you, know, you actually mentioned community a lot. And so uh, like what is, what's something, yeah, one piece of advice you have for, for people in the Swift community, what would you say? I guess I would say get more into it, talk to people. Like I, there's this hesitancy when you're a beginner to not participate and you can kind of be the, the lurker in the room that's not really out there expressing their ideas. And I think it's it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say bad things and be honest and say, hey, I'm a beginner. I'm not sure. Like maybe I'm missing something obvious, but here's what I think. Like um, get involved, meet people. That's how I got into Vapor is I just started submitting GitHub pull requests, met Tanner. We started communicating and literally through that interaction, now we get to have this company together and work on this full time. We have two awesome developers with us now, Jonas and Joannis. And all of this is because I decided to participate in the community a little bit more. Um, there's people that I've worked with that I met in online communities, online chat rooms. iOS developers is a great Slack. Get on Stack Overflow. Just interact with your fellow developers. You never know who you'll meet. You never know who you're going to be friends with. And you never know what project is going to become a company you work at the rest of your life. I love that. Uh, participate. Don't be afraid to share your ideas. All really great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Logan. And again, all your work that you're doing at Vapor, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and I look forward to uh, seeing where this all takes us and uh, potentially meeting you in person. By the way, we didn't mention Logan and I have never met. Uh, I, I interviewed Marcos Griselli. Uh, and he recommended, I think he's a, a, a at least some part of, this, of the Vapor community. And he Which again is participation. I, I haven't met Marcos either. And <laughs> just get out there. Yeah, so he recommended that I bring you on the show. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I will hopefully see you one day in person uh, in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, bringing the show together. It's a great podcast. It's a great resource for people. So it's, it's good to be a part of it. And I'm sure we'll both be at the same conference at some point. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. 
I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Thank you.